I hope that's okay with you. Uh, these are things we'll get um, worked out before our second service. You're welcome to come and join us uh, for our second service. I, um, I want to again say Happy Mother's Day to all our moms that are in the auditorium. Uh, this is a special, special day. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of love. A lot of new moms in our congregation. Exciting time. But it's not lost on me that this is an extremely difficult time for a lot of people. This is a, a difficult day for a lot of people. We have those who are in our congregation this morning who this past year have buried their moms. And this is it's a hard day. We have those whose moms have passed away some years ago and every Mother's Day it brings back memories and it's a, it's a tough day. We have those in our congregation who desperately want to be moms and have been unable to for whatever reason and this can be a tough day for them. We have those in our congregation who are estranged from their children or from their mom. There's never been a really good relationship there. There's never been a, a connection there. We have some who have experienced abuse from their moms. And this is a tough day for them. And I acknowledge that and I recognize that. But I say to those who are here this morning and are celebrating and are experiencing the incredible love and those who are grieving and those who are hurting, I say to all of you, you're not alone. We celebrate with you, we grieve with you, we love you, and I'm glad that you're here. And for those who find this to be such an incredibly difficult day, I believe that this message can be for you. For it is a message about God's response in our most difficult of circumstances. I want to pray and ask God's blessings on our moms and ask our God's blessings on our time of Bible study together this morning. So join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the comforter. I pray for those who desperately need your comfort this morning. You're our provider. And I pray for those, Lord, who celebrate your provision of a mom in the home. Lord, you said that you're the father to the fatherless, the mother to the motherless. And there are those who need to experience you in that way on this day. We're so grateful, Lord, that you're not just a God who's way up there somewhere looking down on us, but that you are close and that you involve yourself in our lives. You celebrate with us. You put your arms around us and comfort us. You lead us and you guide us. It is from you that we experience wisdom in our lives. We need all of you today, Lord Jesus. We need all of you. I ask that you might bless as we open up your word. I ask, Lord, that you might speak to us, that you might teach us, that you might change us, that you might grow us, that we 
we might see you in a way we've never seen you before. You would reveal yourself to us uniquely today. I pray for every single individual in this room that they might experience you, your power and your love, your involvement in our lives. May that be the experience of every single person. Lord, give us hearts to anticipate what you might do, how you might teach. Thank you in advance. We love you so much. We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, guys, we're in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. We looked this morning at one of the great, great miracles of our Lord Jesus during His earthly ministry. It's a unique miracle in that it is the only miracle performed by Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. I think that that's on purpose. I think that it has great, great importance in our lives, that there is great application for our lives. It's the feeding of the 5,000. You're probably familiar with it to some degree or other. I want to begin this morning by making it perfectly clear that this is not about 5,000 hungry people and how God provides. This is about Jesus and what He wants us to see and learn from this miracle that's recorded in John chapter 6. I want to read the first 15 verses of John chapter 6. And then I want us to go back and simply go through this verse by verse. John chapter 6, beginning in the first verse. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain 
by himself. We see here in the first four verses kind of the background of this incredible miracle. It's important that we understand what has taken place in Jesus' earthly ministry to this point. It's important that we understand where He is and who He's with, what their agenda is. Five things in these first four verses tell us a little bit about the backdrop or the setting for this incredible miracle. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. That's an interesting thing to say from the Gospel of John because in the beginning of chapter 6 is the beginning of the third year of Jesus' earthly ministry. In chapter 5, we saw the healing of the lame man at the pools of Bethesda. We see Jesus defending Himself to the Pharisees who were upset with Jesus because not only had He claimed to be God, but He had healed this man on the Sabbath. And the fifth chapter ends with that experience. Well, at the end of the fifth chapter, we know that that is the beginning of His second year of ministry. The beginning of the sixth chapter is the beginning of His third year of ministry. But John leaves though that, that second year out completely. You can learn more about what took place in that second year by reading the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. But we know some things from those Gospels that had just occurred in the lives of Jesus and His disciples. We know this, that it had just been recently that Jesus had sent His disciples out on their first witnessing experience, their first preaching experience. He had sent them out by themselves. I imagine that they were exhausted from that kind of ministry. We know also that it was about this time that Jesus and the disciples had just learned about the death of John the Baptist. This was really a time for Jesus to grieve. John the Baptist was integral to Jesus' earthly ministry. He was the forerunner. He was the one who set the pace, who, who set the way for the Lord Jesus. And not only that, but John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, probably a playmate in his youth. They were very, very close. And Jesus had just learned about John the Baptist's death. Jesus was weary from an incredible amount of ministry that had taken place in the prior weeks. Jesus and His disciples had gone up on this mountain for the purpose of being alone. For the purpose of, of talking about John the Baptist. Of talking about the disciples' time of ministry and the disciples' time of sharing. These first four verses tell us as well that this was also the time of the Passover, the, the feast of the Jews. It would, it would be like the, the busyness that we experience in our lives when Christmas is approaching. All of these things kind of piled up. And Jesus, after this ministry, it felt like that He needed to get alone and, and refresh and recuperate. And so He takes the disciples up on a mountain. The Sea of Galilee is not really a sea. The Sea of Tiberias, that's what the Romans called it. But really it's a lake. It's a large, large lake, but it's not so large that you can't stand on one side and, and see to the other side, especially up in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, which is where they were. 
So when Jesus and the disciples had gotten on a boat and were beginning to cross that northern part of the Sea of Galilee, people who were standing on the shore could see that it was Jesus. And they wanted more of Him. They wanted to hear His teaching and maybe, just maybe, He would perform another miracle. And so they began to run. They began to make their way around that northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. And of course, as they went, the crowd began to grow larger and larger and larger as there were many who wanted to join them so that they could hear again from Jesus. And this is where we find them. They're up on a mountain in, in need of some solitude, in need of some, some time alone, in need of some refreshing. They look down and here comes a great, great multitude of people. Their plans had been interrupted. A lot could be said about that, but let me just leave this with you. Oftentimes, our greatest ministry opportunities is when our time is interrupted. Maybe it's a time of grief. Maybe it's a time of weariness. Maybe it's a time of of difficult circumstances in our life. We see here in the first four verses exactly what this setting was all about and then in chapter and then in the fifth verse it says lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd was coming toward him Jesus said to Philip where are we to buy bread so these people might eat Jesus always ready to love always ready to provide always ready to minister even during a time of unwelcome interruption I think that from this miracle, we, we, we see at least three extremely practical lessons that we can learn. Here's lesson number one. Never measure a problem or a challenge according to your own resources. Jesus asks Philip, where are we going to get the money to feed these people? It says in, in verse 6, Philip's answer to him was it would take a year's wages to feed these people. Jesus had asked him this question to test him, the Bible says in verse 6. He said this to test him, for he himself, Jesus, knew what he was going to do. Do you find that interesting at all? Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew that he would be the provider, that he would be the provision for these people. He knew exactly how this was going to play out. And yet he asks Philip this question, how are we going to be able to feed all of these people? It's interesting to me that in a time of need, Jesus has his disciples struggle a little bit before he provides his provision before he provides his ministry before he provides his solution before he reveals himself for who he is verse 7 philip answered him and says 200 denarii a year's wages would not be enough bread for each of them to get just a little bit jesus says to philip where do we go philip's response to that was how much will it cost Jesus asks us hard questions. 
Oftentimes we find the answer in his very question. Where, where do we go? I wonder what Jesus was trying to get Philip to understand and to see. I know this. Philip evaluated the situation through his own resources. Do you do that in difficult times? Listen, this is a message for people who are going through a difficult time. Let's call it an impossible situation. Jesus asked the question, where are you going to go? Where are we going to find resource? He asked that question in order to test us because He Himself already knows how He will respond, how He will provide, how He will minister. We have this tendency to evaluate the situation according to what we have in our grasp, according to our own resources, according to who we might call or, 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 or what we might buy or or, or how we can, through, through what we possess, how we can solve this difficult time. Jesus is teaching us never, ever measure a problem or a challenge according to your own resources. But we go on and we see in verse 8 and 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus says, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 of them in number. Andrew gives a little bit different answer to Jesus' question. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Philip says, it's an impossible situation. It would take too much. A year's salary. Andrew says, it's an impossible situation. We have too little to feed all of these people. Jesus' miracle gives powerful answers to both Philip and Andrew. Gives powerful answers to you today. Which, which one of those would you most likely be? The problem's too big. Or I have too little. Would it take too much? Jesus wants us to know this morning there's no need too great for Him. Do you have too little? Here's the second thing I think we can learn from this. Little in the hands of Jesus always becomes much. Little in the hands of Jesus becomes much. But listen, don't miss the, the simplicity of that statement. Little in the hands of Jesus. You've got you to give it to Him. You've got to give Him what you have. You've got to take it out of your hands and place it in, in His hands. You have an impossible situation? Why don't you let go? Why don't you give it to Jesus? What have you decided is too big for God to accomplish. What's going on in your life right now? You've already made the decision. It's too big for God to accomplish. What have you decided is too little for God to work with? In what you're going through right now, maybe we could ask the question this way. Do you believe that Jesus can be your provision? Do you believe He can do you believe He's able? Or, 
Maybe you're struggling with this. Do you believe he will? Which of those questions do you struggle with? I I would imagine that in this congregation, knowing you, most of you so well, that, that most of you know that Jesus can. But we struggle with, will he? Romans 8.32, I'll just paraphrase it for you. Jesus says, or, or the Apostle Paul writes something like this, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up freely for all of us, how will He not also graciously give us all things? That's God's Word. Jesus is... is used to impossible situations. He loves impossible situations. He allows impossible situations in our life. Can He? You bet He can. Will He? He's promised He will. How can He who gave us His own Son, gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all that we need? This miracle shows us a biblical pattern of how God makes little into much. Listen, it's all over the Scripture. One of my very favorite stories in all of the Bible is in the book of Judges. And one of the judges was Gideon who was going to fight against the enemy. He was outnumbered. He had 30,000 men. But they knew they could put up a pretty good fight until God came to them and God's suggestion to them was, Gideon, you got too many men. You got too many. And you know the story. God eventually whittled down that 30,000 man army into just 300. I'll conquer the Midianites, the Lord said, with these 300. Send all the others home. God loves impossible situations. And if you're in an impossible situation in your life right now, can I tell you that God is aware, that God knows, that God sees an incredible opportunity to reveal Himself. Beyond that, God loves it. David defeated the Philistine with only a sling and a stone. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, he hit him and he killed him. He did not even have a sword in his hand. There's this this biblical pattern of God's work in our lives. God reduces our resources. He makes our need magnified. He magnifies our need. We trust God with what little we have. God uses the little that we have to show how great He is over and over and over and over in Scripture. We see this occurring. Do you think God can? Do you think God will? What will you do with His provision in your life this morning. John 6 verses 10 and 11. Jesus said, have the people sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And Jesus then took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, it says in verse 11. He prayed. Can you imagine what the disciples were learning as Jesus was praying? Here's 5,000 people. Folks, can you get this picture in your mind? You know what, I can, I can almost see, I can almost accept, I, it, it's, you know, Jesus walking up to a lame man, a guy who's been lame for 38 years, and saying, get up, pick up your mat and walk. This is, this is different to me. Here's 5,000 men, plus women and children, and they're very, very hungry. And he has five loaves of bread and two fish. And he prays and he thanks God for his provision, for God's provision. The, the emphasis in the prayer that we see in Mark, the emphasis in the prayer is, is not on the need, it's on how God has already blessed. Imagine if, if we, just those who are here in this auditorium, a couple of hundred people and, and, and we're together and we're in the wilderness and we're starving and I stand up in front of you and I go, don't worry, I have a fish sandwich right here. Right? I mean, that's, that's crazy. But little in the hands of Jesus is much. It's so interesting to me in this, this next verse, verse 12, when they had eaten their fill, it says. Verse 7, Philip answered him and, and he said, there's just not, we don't have enough for each of them to get even a little. But verse 11 says is that they had as much as they wanted and they had eaten their fill. God is able. God wants to. Here's a third lesson I think that we can see in this. Every encounter, every impossible situation, that problem, that challenge, can bring an increase in your life. You can experience God in such a way that, 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 that you grow in, in your understanding of who He is. That you grow in your faith. Why does God challenge us this way? Why does God allow these situations in our lives this way? Why does God love these impossible situations? Well, I know that He wants to use it certainly to grow our faith. I know He wants to use that to give us hope. He wants to use that to express His love to us. Faith, hope, and love. The things he, he wants us to grow in those things. Those are the things that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 will never pass away. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. Can you see how he takes an impossible situation in our lives? He loves that impossible situation. This is an incredible opportunity for, for those who I love so much to experience me and my involvement in their life. I'll grow their faith. I'll grow their hope. I'll grow their love. This is not about 5,000 hungry men. I think it's about disciples. I think it's about you. I think Jesus understanding what those disciples are going to be encountering in the days ahead. In the days after His 
crucifixion and resurrection, in the days of building the church, there were going to be time after time after time after time when they were in need, when they, when, when they sought God's provision. I think it was a time that, that, that He could teach them. I'm all you need. This chapter 6 is, is really about this. Jesus is the bread of life. In chapter 5, what was that about? Jesus is the water of life. Jesus is all we need. Little is much when it's in the hand of Jesus. Impossible, impossible situations are the perfect opportunity for Jesus to reveal Himself, His power and His love. It's opportunities for us to grow in our faith, in our hope, in our love for Him and, and for others. An impossible problem. An all-powerful God a certain increase. An impossible problem. An all-powerful God. Growth. Increase. Bountiful supply. Overflowing. We see toward the end of this experience that the disciples had when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who was coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain. You know what that tells me? The people didn't learn the lesson. They didn't get it. They didn't see him for who he was. They didn't see him as God. Don't forget John writes in the 20th chapter, I, I'm telling you about these signs. I'm writing about these signs so that you will believe that Jesus is God and in believing you will have everlasting life. This is the purpose of his gospel, but the people didn't get it. They didn't learn the lesson. They just wanted to make him their ATM machine, their genie in the bottle, their king. He would overthrow Rome. He would give them all that they needed. He would make there be peace. He would, he would provide. That's what they wanted. So do you hear the, the, the lesson this morning? I mean, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, Jesus is all you need. He can and He will provide. And there's a way that we can receive that. Well, fantastic, because I have a whole bunch of needs. But I think the lesson is, is, is the power of Jesus, the, who Jesus is, what He wants to do in our lives, why He loves impossible situations. He wants to grow us in our faith and our belief of Him. He wants to grow us in our eternal hope. He wants to grow us in our love. The people didn't get it. Do we get it this morning? You know what? The Bible implies at the very least, teaches at the most, that the disciples didn't get it either. The disciples continue to live in fear. Next week, we'll look at them on a boat in the middle of the sea when a storm comes up. The Bible says they were scared to death. As a matter of fact, I wrote this down. Mark chapter 6. 
He climbed aboard the boat with them and the wind dropped. They were scared out of their wits. That's what the Phillips translation says. And then here's what Mark writes. They had not had the sense to learn the lesson of the loaves. Even that miracle had not opened their eyes to see who Jesus was. Mark 6, verses 51 and 52. The people didn't learn. The disciples didn't learn. They didn't get the lesson. Will you? I know there's application here because I know that if you're not in an impossible situation right now, it won't be long, you will be. Can you see Jesus going, I'm, I'm loving this opportunity to reveal myself, who I am, to reveal my power, to reveal my love, to grow you in your faith, to grow you in your hope. Will we learn the lesson of the loaves today? Let me invite you to stand. Everybody standing. Praise the Lord. What a great, great, great God we serve. You know, a lot of times I preach on Sunday mornings and I point my finger at you and I yell at you and I say stuff like this, come on folks, come on folks. But this, this is an encouraging, incredible, encouraging lesson. It speaks of Jesus' love for us. It speaks of His power. It speaks of His provision. It speaks of how He wants to involve Himself in your life. He's not unaware of the impossible situation that you're going through right now. Listen to me. He's not unaware of the impossible situation. Have you, have you kind of evaluated that situation like it's too big? Or I have too little? Little is much. When you take it out of your hand, your resource, and you put it in the hand of Jesus, He's chomping at the bit. He's licking his lips. He's ready to reveal himself to you. Praise God. Praise God. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this important, supernatural, miracle involvement of Jesus in the lives of those who he loves. May it encourage us this morning, Lord, on our journey with You. Teach us. Don't allow us to leave this room not having learned the lesson of the loaves. Jesus, teach us what it means to take it out of our hand and put it in Yours. To trust You. To believe You. To rest in You. To have peace. In the middle of a storm, to experience your peace. In Jesus' name.